Yeah, there is a, a, um, a lot to say about political language. Uh, one of them is that the logic of uh, plausible deniability and mutual knowledge and relationship negotiation that drives us to indirect speech uh, in ordinary conversation, like passing the salt, is uh, even more magnified in the political arena because anything concrete that a politician says in terms of policy is bound to offend some sector of the population. Uh, and uh, so the art of uh, a lot of political rhetoric is to say things that are uh, vague enough that there is plausible deniability in terms of some position that will um, tick off a constituency, uh, but that can be interpreted by those who are receptive in a way that's favorable to their interests. Uh, and this process pushes politicians to vaguer and vaguer and windier and windier and emptier and emptier rhetoric, uh, like, you know, say, what, what is your platform for running the country? Change. Well, yeah, well yes, but uh, what kind of change? Well, if everyone, it's vague enough that everyone can read into it the kind of change they favor without uh, there being any change in the things that, that are um, aspects of the status quo that they're, ha they're happy with. Now, that's, of course, extremely hypocritical. But on the other hand, it's we, the audience, who are equally hypocritical, because what happens when a uh, politician actually comes out and says something contentful or substantive? There's a firestorm. Uh, there, the politician will have committed uh, what we all know as a gaffe. Now, of course, the best definition of a gaffe is from Michael Kinsley, namely, a, a gaffe is when a politician says something that's true. <laughs> <laughs> And the, uh, I think the broadcast media and, and many of the print media are, are guilty of, uh, of making this worse because their idea of political coverage, when it's not the horse race, it's, is, is just uh, gaff spotting. Uh, the presidential debates, uh, I think, quite egregiously are covered by the media simply in terms of uh, waiting for one or the other to commit a gaff, uh, and which then gets endlessly discussed um, and uh, to the extent that we allow ourselves to be swayed by so-called gaffes, uh, by the one soundbite, the, uh, you know, when people lose their jobs, they turn to guns and religion, uh, we're a nation of whiners, and they get the lipstick on a pig, uh, and so on, we're, like it or not, forcing the politicians to give us empty rhetoric. So that's, that's one dimension. Another one, of course, is competitive framing. Uh, whether a tax uh, increase is paying our bills and, and, and not uh, um, beggaring our grandchildren, or whether it is uh, funneling more money to pork barrel projects and taking the dollars that, uh, that, that you earned and giving them and having the government confiscate them. So there's that, and just about any issue uh, can be framed in these different ways, and that's what we call spin doctoring. That is, uh, finding the most uh, compromising or uh, unsavory way in which an, a, 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 an event or position can be framed and claiming that that's your opponent's position. 
Um, and then there's also connotation of the a euphemism and dysphemism. The same phenomenon that goes into swearing, namely that words, in addition to having their literal meaning, can evoke an immediate emotional response, is uh, put to effect often in, in uh, political rhetoric, uh, such as, my opponent is a liberal, uh, which you, uh, has the, can have the effect, if skillfully applied, of making certain words, like liberal, basically the equivalent of swear words. Uh, and uh, this is obviously specific to a time and place. You go across the border to Canada, and there's a, there's a liberal party, and uh, people are proud to say, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a liberal, but you can't say that in American politics uh, because of a uh, use of whatever psychological process, and I don't think it's well understood, that allows words to gain or lose strong emotional colorings um, and terrorism and... Um, uh, many other words can uh, kind of suck up uh, emotional colorings together with their literal meaning, and that's part of political rhetoric. Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. This is Pierre Richard, joined with Michael Coldstein, a.k.a. Bitstein, in person, live from Austin, Texas. How's it going, Michael? It's going well. It's a little hot. It is a little hot, uh, both outside and on Twitter. <laughs> One of those is my fault. Yeah. Well, I guess both of them are my fault because I, I choose to remain in Texas, so... That's right, yeah, and myself. you cause global warming, so you have to <laughs> through the meat, through the Bitcoin, everything, um, through existing, um, you know, all over with it. Just your, your even your car alone, <laughs> um, causing global climate change. Anyway, um, yeah, we just got back from the Dallas uh, BitBlock Boom conference, which uh, was even more awesome than I anticipated. Um, just all the different events around it and it completely blew me away. I was expecting good things. I had a blast last year, but yeah. this year was just uh, off the chain. It was, uh, the, I, I got there right in time for the uh, Bitcoin and barbells event with Jeff Van Drew on Thursday. We got some deadlifts in there and some pull-ups. Yeah, how was that? Really still good. Sore. Uh, I didn't go too hard that day. It was, uh, it was a rest day for me, but I still uh, did some sets. Oh, that reminds me. We actually owe Jeff an advertising spot. Um, so here it is. Uh, go to, is it vandrew.com? Vandrew.com. Uh, go to vandrew, V-A-N-D-R-E-W.com. Uh, if you need to buy some Bitcoin using your uh, retirement account here in the U.S., your IRA, he actually sets up a legal entity so that you can hold your own keys um, and be in a tax advantage account. Uh, but uh, I owe him that because I, I got him uh, to sponsor. You remember the uh, 
the bus that was going to go from LA to yeah. San Francisco or that, that did go from LA to San Francisco um, that I ended up not uh, going on. And so I kind of uh, screwed him over there. Um, anyway, he, he got a good amount of sponsorship at the uh, conference and uh, I saw that he picked up quite a few customers. So. Yeah. Some of his customers are there in person as well. It's, yeah. uh, it's always great to meet, um, you know, the Bitcoiners out there, especially the ones that aren't really hanging around Twitter as much. Um, yeah, it's funny. Just as much. I met a guy at the uh, Nakamoto Institute second annual dinner that was not on Twitter at all, and he's working on an alternative uh, Lightning implementation in Elixir, which is a really interesting programming language that's used like um, by telecom companies and famously by uh, WhatsApp uh, because it's just a like um, it's uh, highly um, scalable, asynchronous uh, kind of language. So is, is the hope there that using that language will help uh, with the actual performance of Lightning itself or that it, or, and it could be both, smaller, yeah. but uh, also for integration with um, telecom type applications? Honestly, I think it's just the language he's familiar with. Okay. So that's what, but uh, the innovation that he has in mind uh, is kind of a just-in-time channel splicing so that you can increase the capacity of a channel um, the moment that you actually need to, uh, and then you actually have part of the channel in zero confirmation. I don't know if uh, it's uh, going to get traction, uh, but it's actually, I think it's a, it's a promising idea uh, because it's still pretty trust minimized because the uh, rest of the channel, uh, which you know might not even have your funds on it, might just be the counterparties. Uh, would still be trust minimized in the same way that you know multi-confirmation channel is. Yeah. Um, but what I found interesting about that was that he is not on Twitter at all, and so I was like, "How do I contact you? How do I promote this? This is an interesting idea." Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so there are people at these events that are completely outside of our Bitcoin echo chamber, and uh, they they hear about it through friends or friends of friends. Uh, and we had a huge turnout. How many yeah. people were? Uh, we had a total of about 160, uh, uh, which was double last year. Yeah. Um, incredible event. The location, I, I actually did not know um, too much about it, but our friend uh, from Dallas, Clayton, um, mm. knew the people who, who owned that place, and um, it worked out great. It was uh, that the heat was not too bad. I was worried about that. Um, they have big fans giant going, fans. yeah, giant fans that are causing global cooling <laughs> as as they were uh, emitting cool air. Yeah, I could I could feel the sea levels lowering as we were standing around there. But um, I think we've solved the problem. What we <laughs> need to do instead of giant fans with air conditioning that just blasts outside. Why do we only air condition inside? We could air condition outside too. I think that's no what harp was for. Yeah. Yes, the, uh, the right people to learn about that. I thought it was just to throw elections. <laughs> uh, and earthquakes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the, the dinner was absolutely phenomenal. Um, thank you everyone who came to that. Um, wonderful turnout. I met a lot of new faces that I had not met before because when you bring in 160 people, it's just... <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, twice last year. And I think most... There were quite a few of even that were, were people who uh, we, we had a lot of people who came again, but we had so many new faces just in general. Um, it, it was really great. 
Um, so that was really fun. And Saturday was the conference, which was just phenomenal. Um, really incredible speakers. Yeah, so it kicked off with Saifedean talking about fiat food and uh, fiat money, uh, which was was good because it's often framed uh, by people of, why are Bitcoiners so interested in uh, eating meat? Uh, but if you actually look at the history of food, um, the question should be more about why are there people not interested in eating meat? Uh, right, right. Which is a, a good way of reframing it to be more realistic, which is people have always uh, found meat to be nutritious and delicious. Uh, and this uh, move away from meat is profoundly unnatural. And we know we're right about that because Beyond Meat is creating a burger patty out of vegetables. Yeah. They're not you know, creating a cauliflower out of other vegetables. Like they're deliberately trying to make it look like meat. So there, it's not even like anyone could deny that people are attracted to meat over veggies. Uh, the funny thing, I've, I've watched a lot of like kind of like vegan, what I eat in a day videos, uh, mostly mm-hmm. through strange internet characters like the uh, Sparage. Um and what you start to notice is actually a lot of those foods, the way they make them is it's supposed to look like meat. Right. Um, they, they might not say it, but when you look at it, you can just tell. Um, but yeah, no, and he, he actually brought a lot of new information to that that I was not as familiar with. There were certain Harvard nutritionists that I hadn't heard of that had a major impact on, on uh, you know, nutritional guidelines in America. Um, so it's it very interesting. My favorite slide was the one uh, juxtaposing uh, Switzerland and the United States. It's a very powerful slide. Um, and yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, why are people interested in it? One, Bitcoiners are interested in things outside of Bitcoin. It's and- funny, if, if we weren't, people would criticize us for like, you guys are just like obsessed with Bitcoin. You don't have any hobbies or side interests. But the moment we have any hobbies or side interests, they're like, why are you dragging these hobbies and side interests <laughs> into Bitcoin? It's like, all right, yeah, we can't win. Can't win. Yeah. Well, and then on top of that, you know, we're talking about money here and money is tied to everything. Yeah. Everyone complains about, you know, when money's entering politics or, you know, some business thing. And then we're there to point it out and people, uh, you know, uh, then they don't like that. Um, and you'll also hear people be like, oh, yeah, you know, these tech bros, they don't think about the wider consequences of the technology they're working on. They just focus on, you know, the first degree uh, consequences, the immediate consequences, uh, you know, of just like benefiting themselves. They don't think about the wider societal impact. And then the moment like anyone actually does start thinking about the wider societal impact, uh, then immediately it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, why are you bringing in unrelated topics? Yeah, you know, we should yeah. only be focused on Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, how dare you? Especially so. when it gets into the nutrition, which I do understand. Nutrition, I, it makes sense why it has been heavily tied to various religious doctrines because it's such a, it, like money, it is this, it's an even more fundamental part of human existence than money, which is hard to believe. Yeah, if you think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's um, like, you know, second or third after, you know, well, shelter got- and water. I think food becomes comes before shelter, right? Like, um, it depends on where you are because if you're in if you're in a place that gets like brutally cold at night, you can survive overnight. 
but uh, just by being warm, you mm-hmm. can't survive if you freeze to death. Fair, fair. I just I think of it as like breathing air, water, food, and then shelter. You you're just a I have uh, I have warm climate privilege. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, really, though, like, if you can't do shelter, like, just migrate south and get, get to warmer weather. Yeah, although then there's all kinds of other things, things you need shelter from, yeah. like, you know, various oh, animals and mosquitoes. And- you could also argue that on Maslow's hierarchy of needs is is weapons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you if you are moving around and or if you need to get food, uh, you need to have a weapon. And why are these Bitcoin Bitcoiners so obsessed with guns? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so it, it's that's one thing. I don't know. You did you get to go to the guns and Bitcoin? No, because I was teaching about lightning. That's right. Another and, weapon, and I was not there either. Yeah. Uh, I hope that went well. I, I heard it did. I heard that there were some some pretty big guns there, um, and so uh, it's good to hear that uh, Bitcoiners have good opsec yeah. uh, on on the physical level. It was uh, it was good to uh, to to see Ragnar again. It'd been quite a while. Um, yeah, Ragnar's doing well. Um, he's our uh, Nordic uh, <laughs> Nordic toxic troll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how, tell us about the lightning workshop. Yeah, so that was really good. Um, in the morning, I did Intro to Bitcoin, which uh, is kind of like what I spoke at at the Block Boom, uh, except it was longer because I got into things a little, elaborated on things a little more. Um and that really just lays out, like, why care about Bitcoin at all? Um, and then uh, intermediate Bitcoin gets into, it kind of just methodically works from outputs, inputs, transactions, blocks, mempool, blockchain, uh, and lays out how this whole system works, how the transaction fees work. Um so, you know, how, how public keys uh, interact with you signing with your private key and all that, um, because then that lays the groundwork uh, for the afternoon where I had intro to lightning, which was like motivating people for why you should care about lightning, why, why it's a, a good system to, to look into. And then intermediate lightning, which actually looks at how does things like routing work, how does opening a channel or, uh, you know, two of two multi-sig, uh, and then how do the commitment transactions work and how do they get updated? Uh, how, what are the different closing scenarios between a forced close, cooperative close and a breach? Um, so people really enjoyed that. And then between all of these, uh, like sessions, uh, we would take a break and try out, uh, lightning logs. And the, the main one that I focused on was breeze because they've actually just created the easiest experience that is non-custodial. So you're actually running, it's funny, they, they forked LND, so they're running their own version of LND, which I'm not so keen on, but uh, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do mm-hmm. when you're hacking on mobile. Do, do you know, is it because they just needed to add in some mobile capability? I, 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 I think it was because you know, they're, they're, using, they're using this programming language called Dart, uh, which came out of Google, yeah, uh, which is kind of an esoteric language that's not well known <laughs> to people. But in any case, apparently it's working very well. I've heard the name before. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it. Uh, they 
from the description I was reading about it, it seems like a great language. So it might be something to look into. But in any case, I think that they uh, have to like modify R&D to, to fit their use cases. Um, so hopefully uh, they don't um, you know, get into a problem of never being able to rebase onto the yeah. uh, latest version of L&D. How, uh, how long has Breeze been around? I don't think I've, I don't think I had heard about it before this weekend. I saw, I think the first time I saw it was uh, the Bitcoin rabbi was tweeting about setting it up. Yeah. So he's the one who initially motivated me to actually check it out because I was going to just use the lightning labs app. Um, and uh, so it, they've been, they're still in alpha. So like they're still just in test flight in the, not in the app store. Um, so they haven't been around for very long. Uh, but I think that they found the right model and that you're running a lightning node on your phone. It is connecting on uh, uh, Neutrino to their Neutrino server, um, which you know, has trade-offs, but in terms of mobile, it's pretty uh, pretty good experience. And uh, the moment you start the app, they open a channel to you with a million Satoshis inbound capacity. I don't know how they're going to afford to scale this up mm-hmm. if they scale that up because that's a hundred bucks like yeah. for each person that you have. To, it may, would be interesting yeah. something like that um, if in the app store you pay you you know you're paying them say like nine ninety nine for the app the in app purchase or yeah something but, or, yeah, or, yeah, or, or for they the actual just app. Have, yeah you pay for the app itself yeah. and they just bring that in as a, a cost of doing business it's like they. They do their accounting such that yeah. then they can just open for the new app download. And then if you end up like not using that channel, they just close it and yeah. allocate the capital to, to another person. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that makes it so that you can instantly be receiving funds and then you deposit Bitcoin to it. And uh, I so there's a feature where you can essentially open a channel to another freeze wallet. Uh, mm-hmm. Which uh, and then people were able to send Bitcoin back and forth in the class. So uh, that was really cool to see and see people be able to like bootstrap themselves onto the network really quickly. Um, and yeah, so it was a really good workshop. Uh, I need to like record some of the um, and and polish too. I had some good feedback on things that were missing. Like uh, I was missing like how to calculate the fee rate for a transaction and kind of like more information about you know, the mempool and how a miner, you know, takes the first one megabytes based on what fee rate is attached to that transaction and then tying it to the data that's being actually used by a transaction. Um, so, yeah, once once I kind of get that polished, I want to record it and uh, upload it and be able to share more lightning knowledge. Uh, but I also feel like, like Breeze needs to, you know, get out of the office stage, be out of test flight, be actually in the app store um, before you can just like shill it to a mainstream audience right. of like, right. hey, check this out. Yeah, um, all of this stuff sort of still remains hobbyist level until then. Yeah. And then you also want to have like Bitcoin exchanges where um, you log into the exchange and you can like pair your Breeze wallet with it. And then when you buy like $20 worth of Bitcoin, it just goes to your mobile phone. Yeah. Um, which, you know, when, when the next bull market comes and on-chain fees, like, go crazy again, that would be a nice way to have people who want to buy a small amount of Bitcoin, they don't have to pay, like, $25 on-chain fee. Right. Yeah. Until, they, until they accumulate enough that they 
Well, or or wait. or wait, yeah, wait for on-chain fees to go down and then close the channel for one Satoshi per byte. Yeah, and so that's especially like the kind of people that I'm hoping are buying during the yeah, market. Yeah, like, wanting to, to be buying them to hodl rather than uh, because they want to trade it again. But if they do want to trade it again, anyway, then they just send it back to the exchange and it's yeah. still like free, basically. And so. it can go into the hands of someone who does want to hodl. So exactly talking about. Liquidity people. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, a, a web store using BTC Pay server that, you know, they want to buy something from. So um, I definitely think that a lot of the Lightning infrastructure is going to be mature and in place for this next huge bull market, which if we're believe, to believe Preston is going to be like a multi-year, like, you know. Falling uh, of the yeah, uh, fiat economy. <laughs> I was recently listening to Bolero and I was thinking about like, <laughs> this is what the next bull market's going to be. Just like this slow and steady bull Yeah. <laughs> before, before the climax. So, yeah. Um, so that was, that was Friday. Uh, and yeah, it was like 24 people came. Uh, we were lucky because I found a, there's a, a classroom, like you can rent classrooms almost anywhere in the country now because oh, wow. there's just so many different like sublet of a sublet, you know, like flex space that's like a co-working blah, 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 um, where you can just rent a classroom for a day and they have a projector already set up and all the chairs and whatnot. So. And that's now, just imagine when people aren't uh, so over-invested into real estate as a store of value. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although I don't know anyone using real estate in Addison, Texas, as a smart <laughs> So maybe I was at, at the pure utility uh, payment. This is, uh, yeah, we're, we're that you get to see the future by going to Dallas, Texas. Yeah, exactly. Most, uh, now downtown Dallas, I could believe, uh, has a monetary room to it, uh, but the rest is just sprawl. It takes it sprawl. takes a long time to get out of Dallas. Yeah, and the, it's funny because. I, I looked into renting a place at the hotel and they were charging like a crazy amount so high that I was like that I actually went and did some comparison shopping and found something directly across the street that was like actually reasonable. Um, so they, I think they thought that it would be lazy or something. Yeah. No way. Um, and so, yeah. And then Saturday. So yeah, we talked about safe and speech, your speech, uh, your speech, you, you went, like in the, in the first three minutes, I was thinking to myself, "Damn, I need to go back to the hotel room and redo mine because this is so good <laughs> that like mine is is going to be put to shame by this level of performance." Um, but I think that like it's funny the the people who are in the room contrasting their reaction to the reaction online uh, is pretty funny, but also. An excellent illustration of your of your talk, like yep, it, it yep. illustrated your talk perfectly about the difference between the in group and the out group. One of the things left unsaid in the talk, and instead played out in the real world, uh, because I guess I'm a performance artist. This is finally some performance art I can enjoy. Is the performance art I do myself. Mm -hmm. um, Marina uh, Abramovich can uh, BTFO, but uh, but. Um, yeah, something that I left unsaid is that uh, the nature of that outgroup is that it's very much self-selecting because Bitcoin maximalism, uh, to, to much of the chagrin of, of people arguing to the contrary, is not exclusionary. It's the most inclus inclusionary 
like inclusive like philosophy I can come up with, yeah. which is like literally we're all going to use the same money and be able to trade with one another um, and not screw each other over. Um, but you know, you, you choose your way that you want to disagree with that. Um, and the, the people who do so often um, do it in a very hostile manner, which is exactly why they get trolled. Yeah. I was explaining to them why they get this heat. It's it, there's, they need to understand that they need to have a little bit of self-reflection and understand why it is that people are not willing to have a uh, better discussion with them. And this is something you've talked about on Twitter for a lo- long time, which is you get out of Twitter, what you put in. Um, and so if, if you're asking really good questions, Bitcoiners want to hear the tough questions, um, especially ones they haven't heard before. Um, but if, if you're just going to say the same stuff and keep scamming people and all of that, you're just not going to have a good time. Um, yeah, because the, the arguments that we hear, both arguments that are anti-Bitcoin and arguments that are pro-altcoin, uh, like if you go back and look at what's on the Nikon Institute website, they're all there mm-hmm. uh, in, in some form or another. Um, and the, the arguments that are uh, pro-fiat, like Brad Sherman's type arguments of, uh, you know, uh, U.S. dollar hegemony being undermined. Like um, those, to me, it's funny because we can we can troll the crap out of Brad Sherman and like drag him through the mud, and we don't have anyone complaining about it. Yeah, which is is great because uh, ultimately the U.S. dollar is the biggest shit coin out there and uh, is kind of the the the, the worst uh, just due to its size. Like I'd argue, you know, maybe like the Iraqi dinar under Saddam or like uh, whatever currency they use in Cuba or North Korea, if they use currency, like obviously those are worth shit coins because they cause more death. Yeah. Yeah. They are, they are more uh, oppressive, but if we're just doing like a sum total of human welfare, like the U S dollar by being the global reserve currency is the worst. Um, And and to um, Ether Huffer's credit, um, despite the fact that they are holding such a deeply Keynesian uh, economic view, they have not yet been calling for their money to be used for, um, you know, expansive warfare states. Sort of. I mean, we've yeah. seen that we've seen pictures of Vitalik meeting with Vladimir Putin. We've seen uh, calls for Saudi Arabia to invest in Ethereum, but I think that's just like bagholder desperation. That's not actually. A, Right, and that's also, but that's not the Ethereum community as a whole. Fair, Whereas fair. Yeah. I would say the dollar community as a whole does support these uh, programs, and and the dollar community as a whole, like they do. Uh, you know, when we saw uh, Paul Krugman on TV, he was he said, you know, Bitcoin's not backed by anything. Uh, the dollar is backed by the military. So like they An have explicit, yeah, fantasies know, of violence yeah. against uh, Bitcoiners yeah. where. Um, or, or, you know, wanting to ban Bitcoin. Whereas, like, Ethereum people, like, they don't say, like, oh, Ethereum is backed by violence or that, uh, you know, that Bitcoin should be banned and Ethereum should be the only legal tender. So uh, that, to their credit, they are willing to uh, actually compete in the marketplace with monies, uh, even as awkwardly and as (laughs) failingly as they do. Uh, So we have to give them that. And really, like... Ethereum does have a better monetary policy than the U.S. dollar. I I disagree with the Bitcoiners on Twitter who say that like 
they they like the dollar better than Ethereum because it's like yeah well, the the only reason I, I quote unquote like the dollar more than Ethereum in the sense that I do hold U.S. dollars and I I transact with U.S. dollars hmm. is the fact that it has more liquidity. Right. Yeah. That's that's fair. Um, I guess I mean on on just the fundamentals, uh, putting aside in, in the, a vacuum, yeah, in a vacuum, cap. yeah, p- putting aside the existing uh, constraints we have on our behavior, which is like. It reminds me of when people are like, oh, libertarians drive on public roads. So how libertarian are they? <laughs> kind of silliness. But um, yeah, uh, so I think that no one no one cares when we really go hard on the no-coiners. Uh, the ones, which, by the way, yeah. most of my talk was really like directed towards, towards no-coiners because I was pointing out how Krugman post-9-11 uh, literally had a column saying, oh, well, at least it'll be good for the economy because look at all these broken windows. Yeah, these are the kinds of people that, that celebrate death and destruction uh, just for GDP number yeah. go up. So, like, I, sorry, we we will crush these people yeah. uh, peacefully through a you know a monetary revolt via you know restoration of sound money. But that's the other funny thing that like they latch on to you saying like we're going to crush them, and they they in their minds like. They see you like on top of an Abrams tank with a Bitcoin flag, you know, running over Paul Krugman, uh, which is completely uh, bizarre given our long track record of, uh, you know, saying that this is like the marketplace for monies where that's where we're going to compete. We're not actually like, and and that uh, the idea that the dollar is backed by violence. I actually also think that's wrong. Like, I actually don't think the dollar is backed by violence. I think it's backed by the fact that it has a credible monetary policy. Yeah. Now, um, well, you know, <laughs> within relative relative to other <laughs> shitcoin shipyards, um, and now with with the small caveat there that people do bring up, which is that the dollar would not have that credible of monetary policy if it could not. Uh, finance a military that can defend the integrity of the territory mm-hmm. and uh, also even globally uh, for example uh, protect shipping lanes from piracy uh, which you know if, if that happened then uh, dollar hegemony would, would, would and and the commercial you know right. strength of the United States would, would be impaired um, so that's that's where we get into arguments about anarcho-capitalism and, and all that uh, but yeah, I, I think that the idea that uh, Bitcoiners are actually going to crush no-coiners physically, uh, it's just, it, it is a, a case of them, um, of, of critics of Bitcoiners having bad faith arguments of straw manning Bitcoiners, which ironically... Constantly, by the way. But that fits, it fits into the framework that you've established of rhetoric versus dialectic. They are engaging in rhetoric. They know they're engaging in rhetoric. They're not actually making good faith arguments. They're not engaging in dialectic. They've chosen that outgroup status. Yeah. And and so I, as I, as I call it on Twitter, but I'm, I'm arming people with advanced rhetorical defense technology. What, what annoys me is when they, they decide to pursue rhetoric and also simultaneously um, denounce you for not uh, being a, a engaging in dialectic on Twitter, right? Where they're like, why why don't Bitcoiners just 
argue the ideas instead of memeing at us. Oh, oh, it gets even better than that. So, I mean, yeah, so that's a huge problem. And, you know, they, what better uh, position are you in if you're engaging in rhetoric and the other person is engaging in dialectic? Because they, they will fall into your frame because they're going to get caught up in various nuanced arguments, um, which is just going to be a waste of their energy. And so you get to just strip them of their energy. Um, the other thing, though, is I actually saw an instance of uh, our friend Connor, uh, Connor Brown. Yeah, he was um, he had a, he had a nice tweet about um, sort of thinking about this sort of these mimetic strategies and stuff. And it was, it was a neat, neat little uh, tweet. And I saw someone quote tweeting it who was then uh, uh, countering it by saying, oh, well, if your memes are so good, why are you having to explain it? So it's like, you know, at that point, it's like, well, because in our in-group, we do want to, like, try to understand, you know, what makes good persuasion tactics so that we can teach people about Bitcoin. So once again, it's like, you know, they don't want you to even engage in dialectic with your your in-group. They, um, they, they really just want you to be stuck talking to them in the way that they choose so they, they can always control your framing and continue their shitcoin pump and dumps. Yeah, it's funny. The the beef hashers had a headline of like, uh, "Bitcoiners declare uh, mimetic warfare: the beginning of meme war." And what they don't understand is that they've been fighting a meme war for the past couple of years. Uh, more than that, this thing is going back millennia. Yeah, yeah, this millennia. Is the endless. But I mean, since the start, battle. Since you know, since since the BCH hard fork. Yeah. Um, and they just. They're so utterly clueless that for them, like, this is the beginning when really you're just describing an existing reality. Yeah. Uh, and they just don't know how to mean. Uh, I, I think, too, that um, people, people do not like, you know, if they're playing these games, which they are, whether they understood it or not. Yeah. Um, they don't like when someone else just sort of, you know, pulls off, you know, shows the emperor has no clothes. This is the game that's being played. Um, we saw the same thing um, with the 2016 election. Um, for better or worse, mimetic technology um, got Donald Trump into the presidency. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the media, for instance, they did not know how to handle any of that. And they were not prepared because Donald Trump had come in and just said, this is, this is the game we're going to play. I'm going to play the game. I'm going to and I'm going to punch hard and take show no mercy. It, it also goes to like one of the. Um, you'll, you'll hear pearl clutching about internet mobs. And it shows that democracy is mob rule. That's how Trump got elected. Like, yeah. so he got elected by an internet mob. Uh, and it's not a bunch of Russian troll bots that went to the ballot box to, to, to vote. Um, but then it's like, all right, then as someone who is participating in the system, um, how do you do it in such a way that it is ethical and is pushing human civilization in a positive direction uh, rather than a negative direction of, you know, uh, just uh, complete, uh, like, silly hatred of people for arbitrary reasons. and nihilism. Yeah, nihilism. Very, like, a joker type of trolling. Yeah, and you'll see, like, you'll see nihilistic trolls who, when, when they troll... Uh, they don't troll based on substantive arguments. Like um, when 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 I troll like Barry Silbert, 
I troll him about the altcoins. He actually has shilled. Yeah, I don't like Ethereum Classic or something Zcash like that. or yeah. you know, like I, I don't troll him about you know the, his hair color or yeah. like uh, who his family is or things like that, which are are just not uh, they're they're not substantive uh, and they're, they're not about like the truth or uh, moving yeah. human civilization forward. And that's not to say that these uh, the the Joker style. Uh, trolls are not very good at their craft because there is a craft. It's just like, uh, what's the, the Dungeons and Dragons, like chaotic neutral. Yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. Like, you know, they're just at a different uh, quadrant than, you know, one that I would want to be in. Um, that I advocated in my talk for Bitcoiners to be in. And I talked a bit about this, about, you know, the extreme importance of actually understanding, you know, Austrian economics and how money works so that it can guide your, your you know, memetics uh, towards creating an actually better world. Yeah, if, if, if your response to someone is just like, you know, you're an idiot, um, so that has a time and a place, but if that's the only response you ever, like, put out or, you know, something along those lines, uh, then no one actually learns anything from from the memes that you're putting out, yeah. uh, or from from your trolling. Like all that's going to happen is that you're going to get uh, uh, not not sequestered, but like sidelined and blocked and muted yeah. and ignored by everyone. And, and you'll never accrue followers that way. In, insults are something that should be um, very tactical, yeah, and, and surgical. Um, it's, it's not something I recommend people do, uh, just like Rambo style at everyone. You want to, uh, you know, there's, there is a time and a place where you might need to burn a bridge or two or, or just kind of like slap someone up so that they can like, you know, snap back into reality, which, um, I have had to do before. Yeah. Um, but you know, more importantly, you know, be studying, you know, read the read the classics so that you can um, make good arguments. And quite frankly, the better that you know arguments, both on your side and the other side, um, the better that you can make points that um, both um, help the in group better understand their own reality, and uh, for the purposes of trolling, you can better craft messages that really piss off the out group. Right. Yeah. Definitely. And the best is when you layer all of these on top of one another. Uh, as as many layers as possible, the better. Because you can't really play chess if you don't understand what their next moves are going to be. But if you can pass an ideological Turing test, then you do know what their next moves are going to be. And you can essentially uh, just play a better game of mimetic chess with them. Yeah. Uh, than, and, and they're just like stumbling around in, in a dark room, like not really knowing what. And this doing. is this is why I think Bitcoiners are ultimately much better at memeing, um, you know, on the yeah. curve, so to speak, than um, you know these these other groups because Bitcoin maximalists, I think, have like a, a pretty good understanding of why people think that altcoins or ICOs are good, why multi-coining is actually the future rather than a single dominant currency. Um, et cetera, et cetera. They understand those very well. But when you look at these debates between um, like any of these, any of these struggles, whether it's, um, you know, a block size debate or um, the altcoins or uh, some other debate around this, it tends to be the case from what I can perceive 
um, but the other side does not have a full appreciation of what we are actually arguing for. Um, and so because of that, they're, they're not going to be able to mean it as well. You're, they're not yeah. going to know how to craft a message that actually makes us look silly because we'll just ride around it. It's funny to me, like when you get into a thread and like four responses in, the person is like, what's, what's your argument? And it's like, well, so you've been like arguing this entire time and you don't know what my argument is. So what are you even arguing <laughs> against? So, like what it's, uh, it's, it, there is like a lack of reading comprehension there, but it's, um, it's kind of, uh, also like a self-selecting group of, you know, I think that Bitcoiners are closer to the truth than everyone else in crypto and outside of crypto. So just by that alone, they're going to have everything downstream of that is going to be better. Um, whether it's the actual substantive arguments, the memes, the trolling, like all that is just uniquely enabled by the fact that they are closer to the truth uh, than, than these others. And so like you see others having to put in like forced memes, you know, that are not natural and organic. Uh, they're, they're synthesized and artificial uh, based on like either cargo culting and LARPing as Bitcoiners. Yeah. Um, or, 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 you know, as, as one of the things I pointed out in my talk is um, what happens when, for instance, uh, shit coiners fall into our frame and actually start uh, referring to themselves as shit coiners, mm -hmm. um, which uh, is extremely cringeworthy. Um, and it's, it's actually very palpable every time you see it. I think we've seen no coiners do the same uh, when they call themselves no coiners. Um, and, or, or they're like uh, very... Yeah, I, I, I just I think that the word no coiner is interesting because there's people who think that it simply refers to pre coiners. Yeah, I, I don't recall where no coiner sort of originated, so I don't remember what the the context was specifically. But yeah, unfortunately, there is that there is that issue. Um, but I, I was sure in my talk to explain the difference between um, you know pre pre coiners versus no coiners because. I love free coiners. Those, those are those are Bitcoin maximalists to be. Yeah. So let's see. What can we talk about? Uh, well, so the after after your talk, yeah, which was very controversial. Um, there was oh, Tom did a great job taking apart altcoins. Yes, variety of uh, shitcoin projects. Uh, no one, no one uh, got up in a tizzy about that on Twitter. I think that. It's kind of a given that uh, shit coins are shit. Um, and so now when people want to pick a fight with Bitcoiners, it has to be on topics that are not about monetary economics or even technology and scaling, right? Because like all of those we've run the scoreboard on and now they have to like find some kind of cultural, you know, the tone or... Yeah. Oh, they they don't police tone on that. Yeah, they, they, they don't tone, tone police tone. <laughs> yeah, they just, they just want tone and language police and all of that. Um, and which, by the way, something I was thinking about with my talk and why people were such in a tizzy. Um, people who are inclined to language police are definitely going to be very uh, uncomfortable around a speech where language is left very ambiguous. Mm, yeah, yeah, and you're welcome. And and where there's like humor mixed in, where you can't really 
pick up on humor on the internet. It's like notorious. That's yeah. why there's the uh, slash S. Yeah. Um, and they were only reading the transcript too. So there's right. some things about my tone. They didn't even hear. There's even things in the transcript where it's the audience, an audience member yells something out and then it goes into the transcript and people think that you said it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I actually, I, I want, I, I want to know what voice they were reading it in, in their head. Like, was it like Morgan Freeman or like Mussolini or Borat or something. Like, <laughs> I know I'll, I'll never know. Well, yeah, because these these aren't people who listen to our podcast and who are like familiar with your voice. So yeah, and everyone else, parties. they like uh, you know one of our friends here in Austin. He he was not there for the talk, but he read the transcript and he said how like, yeah, I could totally read it and he knows in me well enough. Yeah, he knows exactly yeah. how I'd be saying things. Yeah. Um, it, the, uh, the yeah, uh, people people on Twitter were you know uh, wanting to ask me you know is it is is this talk serious or is it a joke? And my answer is yes. <laughs> it makes people uncomfortable, um, and that's okay because ultimately, like they're they're going to have to figure this out on their own because it's not like and it's the same thing with Bitcoin. It's like it's not like they can wor- live in a world without memes and without ethical trolling. And without uh, unethical trolling, <laughs> you know, uh, and in fact, like their lack of self-awareness about what ethical trolling is means that they are susceptible to lapsing into unethical trolling more yeah. easily. Yeah, because to them, it's all the same uh, whether you call someone an mf or if you, uh, you know, point out some shitcoin they were promoting five years ago uh, that is now worth zero. Um, they they see those as like the the, the exact same th- uh, thing. Um, anyway, on a more serious note, there was a good tech talk from uh, Mike Schmidt about Taproot and Schnorr. Um, I did not know about the Schnorr adapter signatures being able to have uh, like information uh, in them, uh, so that you have like this like he he um, had this metaphor of invisible ink. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. The atomic swap use case, I don't like, but he mentioned this in his talk of like maxis are not going to like this because it's just about shitcoin trading. Um, Although, but the, the easier it is to uh, drop your bags for Bitcoin. True, better. true. Um, yeah, Jimmy's talk was great. And then we had a good time talking with uh, Marty and Matt. Uh, yeah, fi- finally got to be on their podcast in, in some regard. Uh, still, still need to find a time to sit down with Marty to go full cosmic. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, you've also got to get drunk and talk with him for three hours. It's uh, part of the deal. So. Right. Right. Uh, he'll have difficulty with that, but <laughs> all right. Um, well, we'll see you folks next week and, uh, hope you make it to the next, next big block boom. Uh, when you see the tickets go up on sale, make sure you buy them right away because they get more expensive and they do sell out. Um, I, I was surprised happily that, well, I wasn't surprised, but um, yeah, they, 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 happy, yeah. yeah, I was happy that they sold out um, and it'll probably happen again next year. So absolutely incredible weekend, uh, a plus. And uh, thank you again, Gary Leland for uh, putting all of that together again. Gary's like a Bitcoin of the month. <laughs> he did a great job with the, uh, the conference. All right. Bye. You answered a question about complainers. And said you would listen to the because, well, it should be listen to them, right? Yes. You said you would listen to them because you can learn what the problems are. I like it. And people like to be heard. But how do you handle chronic complainers?
the type of people who become cancerous. I'm a huge fan ex- of extreme ownership. Take thanks for your time. Uh, yeah, this this is a calls once again for my favorite my favorite general remedy in yeah. in leadership situations is you take this person and you put him in charge. Put him in charge. Yeah. And this is one of those classic things where someone says, "Hey, why are we even doing it this way?" And you say, "Oh, Echo, you don't like that? Cool. Why don't you come up with a plan and you go execute it however you want?" Yeah. And and that does one of two things. Either they they say, "Okay," and they step up and then they have to figure out how hard the job the task is and they have to get it done and it's they learn from it and they get humbled by it and they recognize the 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 burden of responsibility that a leader actually has which is all good or they just say no 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 and they stop complaining because they don't want to get tasked with anything again <laughs> now what, what you got to be careful with a lot of these answers that I give you could go like in the wrong direction so what I mean by that is Echo says, hey, I don't like we're do- the way we're doing this. And I go, okay, well, then you're in charge. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I do it like that. It's a punishment. It's a yeah. punitive thing. Oh, yeah. That is absolutely not what I'm talking about. Mm. I say, you know what, Echo? You're pointing out some good stuff. You're pointing out some definite shortfalls in the way that this is happening. Mm. I'll tell you what. Why don't you actually just take responsibility for this, and you can run this task, and you mm. can make this happen? Because I, I think... You know, just based on some of the things you've pointed out already, I'm not even calling them complaints. Yeah, yeah. Based on some of the things you pointed out already, I think you could probably improve upon our process quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got to be careful. I'm not talking about being a jerk to someone. Yeah, I'm talking about action. And this is the thing: it's like it's like there's 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 this thing where, where where what I'm doing, I'm not just playing the game. You ever you ever have I ever told this in jujitsu? I'm like, hey, if you want to set me up with the choke so that you can get my arm, mm-hmm. you have to actually right. do the choke. You have to yeah. actually apply the pressure. If you don't apply the pressure, I'm not defending it. My yeah. arm's not gonna go where you want it. Yeah. You have to actually do it. Yeah. And if I don't defend it the way you expect me to, then you just choke me. Yeah. It's the same thing here. I'm not saying you just say, well, why don't you do it then? No, yeah. you have to actually say, hey, listen, I think this is what's going on. I think you have some good points. Why don't you take lead on this and and we'll see if you can, you know, remedy the situation because I think you've got a pretty good chance of doing it. Yeah. This isn't I'm not doing this as a punitive thing. I'm doing it cuz it's the best thing for the team. You've yeah. got a legitimate complaint. You've got a bunch of them. Yep. Let's get you in a position where you can sort some of those things out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, so that's that's that. When you get people that are complaining, you know, first of all, hear them out. And maybe that's good enough, right? Hey, listen to them. And, yeah. and, and, and once again, I'm not saying you listen to them while your brain is elsewhere and you're not thinking. You actually listen to what they're saying. You're engaged. You really do go for the choke. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Listen to what they're saying. Maybe there's some solutions you can come up with. Mm-hmm. But then if that doesn't work, and even after, they, even after you listen to them and you explain to them why things aren't the way they want, they still want to complain, complain about it? Cool. That's fine. Awesome. Why don't you take lead on this? Mm. And that way you can sort out some of these issues. Appreciate it. Mm. Kind of like Leif said that one time, it's kind of hard to complain about a plan when it's your plan. Yeah, that is the truth. Yeah, makes sense. God, I'm so stupid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah this plan sucks that I came up with. But the yeah, the um, chronic complaining, because you could kind of, I mean, people who complain a lot, you, 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 it's, easy to be like oh they're chronic complainers right but if there's constantly we'll say chronic problems mm-hmm. that might induce chronic complaining i'm not saying that's the case obviously because i know True. that there is such thing as chronic complainers 100 mm-hmm. percent. 
But at the very least, like how you say, oh, yeah, put them in charge of something or or listen to them and they'll point, you know, listen to what they're complaining about or whatever. You might actually get turned on to all these solvable problems, you know, and if you if look, if you make someone take lead in a a situation. Right. And, you know, how it's kind of like that's that concept of like taking extreme ownership. And then what if they do like say, yeah, it is your fault. And then you get yeah. all mad, you know, yeah. kind of thing. It's like, oh, so you didn't really do that. It's like, so if you put someone else in charge of something, you're really putting them in charge. Yeah. Like, what if they run? What if they take lead and they solve all the problems? And awesome. they don't come, awesome, right? We're happy. Yes, yeah. exactly right. So you don't treat this action or this discourse as like something to get back at the yep. complaint. It's, it's not just a setup. Yeah. It's a real move. It's a real deal. Yeah. And you know, that's, you just, you just made this point that I made, which is one of the best leadership tools that is completely overlooked by people all the time is very, very simple to do, and that's just to listen to what people are saying. I know it sounds crazy, but I run into all the time leaders in all kinds of levels, all kinds of situations, and the biggest problem they have is they don't even listen to anyone else. They won't listen. So when you're in a leadership position, try this, be quiet and listen to what people are saying, listen to what they're complaining about, listen to what suggestions they have, listen to what advice they give, listen to their recommendations, listen. Just listen sometimes. You're gonna be in a much better spot. Yeah, and even like you saying that out loud sounds real obvious, you know, but it's, man, it's not, because even a lot of times, like if you don't listen, I'm thinking of myself, like all the many trillions, trillions of times that I haven't listened when I should have, Most of the time, most of the time we'll say, I don't mean to not listen. I don't mean to be like, it's not like I'm like hearing noise and being like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're dumb. You know, what you say doesn't mean anything. It's not that. It's more that I'm like focused so hard on what I'm thinking or my way or whatever. Like I'm just so just, of course, naturally it's mine. I've been thinking about it for years now, you know, kind of thing. So I'm so basically dug in to myself on my own thing that I'm not and. I'm just not paying attention that much. You know, I'm like working so hard down this tunnel that like I can't look out of the tunnel kind of thing. So you don't really mean to, but when you're in the situation, it's like, it's not that easy. You know, it's, it's, and you know what it is also? It's a detachment. Yeah. Right. Because when you're talking, you're talking. Yeah. You got to step back, detach, listen to what people are saying. I do this all the time. I do this all the time. It's such a, it's such an easy move. Yeah, if you, it's if such you an remember. easy move, you just yeah. watch. You just listen. Even like in jujitsu, you do this. Where you're like, oh, the person wants to move around a bunch. Cool, I'll let them move around a bunch. Yeah. Let's see where they're going. I'm yeah. just going to listen to their moves, you know? Yeah, and that's a good way to put it, man. Just listen to their moves. Just listen. And yeah, if it's, and if you primarily focus on that listening, then like you habitually be able to do it way better. Because like, again, like back to the, it's not like a, it's you're not doing it with malicious intent yeah. you know you're not shutting them down it's almost like you ever you like interrupters right you know chronic interrupters yes. people who interrupt you all the time some of the time a lot of the time whatever we'll say half of the time estimate there it doesn't feel like they're doing it because they don't want to hear what you have to say sometimes it's that for sure but sometimes they it's almost like it's almost like they have this tone of like dang i don't think i finished my point as good as i wanted to yeah, yeah. almost they're it's doing like it that for tone them for themselves yeah. because they're so committed to their message and what they've been thinking the whole time and if you're not signing right onto it it's man i must not have said it clear enough you see what so i'm saying i had to like tighten up my kids on just straight they just wouldn't let each other talk it's just interrupt interrupt yeah. interrupt yeah. 
and I think it was yeah it was my son for sure and he looked at me and he goes he's like uh, he says dad you've been teaching us to be aggressive our whole lives and now all of a sudden you're telling us just to sit back <laughs> oh, that was funny did you tell him that that's the dichotomy I said that's the dichotomy I know of you course. did of course yeah